recording. It's the the Doc and uh, Gary Horn, and we're here with Todd Kennelly, uh, the commentator for United Wrestling Network, uh, Primetime Live, and so many other things. Todd, you've you've been all over the place, I guess, but but we we are gracious. Thank you for doing this, man. No, my pleasure, man. I'm so excited to actually talk to you guys in person for once. But uh, you know, big fan of the show. Steal research from the show from from time to time, and some of your lingo I will find a way to to work into my commentary, as I'm sure you've you've heard. You know? Rob was so tickled the last time uh, he he kept saying uh, he kept sending me messages about uh, prize fight wrestling. You said that the other day. That's like Rob's favorite phrase. So it's a. Uh, <laughs> He was he was real pumped you about say that. Yeah, I don't 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 come to me for plagiarism, uh, Doctor Stinson. <laughs> but, uh, but I got that in there. I got to mention the Burke a couple times. Uh, so yeah, you know, I'm definitely paying attention. That We're, adds a, a level of credibility, man, because we respect you so much. And uh, and we when you say stuff like that, man, we just appreciate you. And we're just trying to create a, you know, like you said, a lingo or a a, a vernacular. Uh, uh, around about the NWA and the UWN. And so it's hearing you say it's fantastic. Yeah. I like, yeah. He's right, man. I mean, we're, we're just so grateful for it. Would you, it was one thing Would you name drop the podcast or like you mentioned me at, w- during the Hammerstone match or uh, whatever it, 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 but when you brought up the Burke, that was a huge one for us. We're like, this thing is catching on now. This is legit. This makes it official. That belt is the Burke. Like you, you, you said it, it was like right around that same time. I think Thunder Rosa dropped it in something and said something about the Burke. And we're like, we made that, but that happened on this show. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's funny too, because I was catching up before uh, the match between Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb. I was catching up with Serena Deeb and talking about just her career and the fact that she stepped out of active in-ring competition for years and was training and what's it mean for her to compete for a title that has such a lineage, you know, and, and factoring Mil- Mildred Burke in back in the day. So then when she cut a promo on the pay-per-view, she mentioned the legacy of Mildred Burke. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm all for continuity and, and you guys have done a, you know, a great job of, of covering our stuff and honestly, and it, it should be honest, like I'm not going to sugarcoat, you know, everything we do isn't perfect, but I think we're putting on a great, you know, live 90 minutes of wrestling uh, every week. And it's the emphasis is on bell to bell. And so if we can get that vernacular to click and you know me, I'm, I'm all for um, story continuity and things that are out there and, and, and uh, educating the viewers. So I had no problem. You know, Thunder Rosa has a great thing going out there in Buda, Texas with Mission Pro Wrestling. It's tying into what we were doing her uh, first defense she was coming off of AEW and Mission Pro. And I think that's all part of the story. Here's a battle-tested champion that's promoting events and defending the title. And that, to not mention that, I think would be a real disservice to the match. So that's why, again, when you saw Heather Monroe this last week, you know, or I'm sorry, Lacey Ryan, I talked about that she battled all the, you know, all the way to the finals of the tournament out of hell. And I think that's important story beats. And it's a big pie and why not give credit to other uh, promotions and talent that are working hard and cross promote? Yeah, I think you're right. Also, um, uh, we'll go ahead, Rob. I'm I was going to say I appreciate it too that you mentioned you mentioned by name uh, Rachel Rosen, Burt Dixon, 
Um, and that, that was, that was to me, that was as just as cool as saying prize fight wrestling, because I think, uh, you know, again, the tie in there, um, the legitimacy and just, and just elevating these two women in that particular promotion, um, is fantastic. And the more that people like you can mention their names, the better for the sport in general. Well, to double down on that, Rob, I mean, where I was thinking about is, you know, you mentioned it, Todd, like the, the continuity, you're a fan of continuity. I, I, I am too. That's a hundred percent the thing that I love the most. And I love it, especially, well, luckily you're in a place like UWN where all of these people are coming in from all different places. But I think it's something that for instance, again, not to crap on anybody here, but like one of the things that that bothers me right now in the product of like WWE or something is it's almost like hell from week to week, they almost forget what happened the week before sometimes, or if they don't even mention it or bring it up or, you know, they, it's like, sometimes it feels as though they can't recognize that we remember 15 years ago. We remember this, these two guys fought before, you know, that kind of thing. And you bringing it up, it's like, it's almost, uh, it's, it's just like an easy thing to do. And it, it rewards the fans, I think for paying attention or for having seen, you know, anybody who watched the mission pro show, got a pot you got to pop out of them because they're like oh yeah i saw that you know and, and that sort of thing so that's just a a cool thing that seems like an easy thing to do but I, I don't feel like a lot of people get that yeah and i'm glad that i have the freedom to do it you know no one at united and and nobody with the nwa has said hey don't mention this don't mention that um and so yeah, I, I think it's important you know to tell that story and, you know, staying on the topic of women's wrestling when it comes to the tie-ins with Mission Pro and such, it's going to continue. Because now we've got the American Kaiju coming in next week, taking on Ruby Rays. That should be a war. <laughs> you know, that should yeah. be an absolute an oh, absolute war. It should, it's going to be physical. It's going to be great. Um, so, you know, there'll be more where that came from. And, I, you know, when, when Lindsay Snow's out there, I'm definitely going to talk about Mission Pro. I'm definitely going to talk about Bloodsport. I mean, I, I've, I grew up a huge fan of professional wrestling first and foremost, as long as I can remember. But then I've also delved into a lot of sports outside, you know, that I was I played football at, at USC. I've called a lot of MMA. And so I think it's more that MMA kind of commentary mentality that in MMA, you will hear uh, UFC commentators talk about fights that fighters have had outside of the UFC uh, fights that they've had, you know, in Japan or fights that they had with Bellator, even a competition because it's sport, you know? And, and I think that strength of competition is huge. So when you've got a Lacey Ryan, that's coming in with the FSW women's title, that's great. She beat Taya Valkyrie for that title. But when you can also talk about the fact of who she just ran through in a tournament over the weekend, and then now is putting her title on the line live on pay-per-view, you know, that just builds her up, I think, that much more, that she's such an active fighting champion in her own home promotion, but also challenger in others. Absolutely. Just chit chat now on mute. Well, now I hit record, but it's like, it's never safe. Everybody will always know when we put a pause in a recording because Rob never stops talking. And like, we can't, <laughs> we can't do the in and out. Like, Rob's just like, he's always got something to say. <laughs> Todd there's so many things I want to circle back to that you've already brought up but like one of the things right off the bat is you also mentioned uh the uh not sugarcoating anything I I think that we try to it, there's 
obviously you've got a job to do. And then I think the people that listen and watch us, like our audience, they expect a little bit out of us. We're, I think we're all kind of easygoing guys, but then, you know, sometimes there's like little things we bring up because I know that people are thinking it and it feels like dishonest not to bring it up, but hopefully I feel like hopefully the whole time we're being credible enough that, you know, anything negative we've ever said is only out of, uh, out of love, uh, except, except me forgetting uh, Jason Kincaid's name all the time. I don't know why I keep doing that. Or James Kincaid for that matter. <laughs> James Kincaid. See, I did it again. I even looked it up before I talked to you. I don't know why that guy, like his first name, I just cannot grasp. Young Shivani. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Maybe that's, he, that's my lot in life. Doesn't he look like a, a young version of the current Tony Shivani? Like he doesn't look like he doesn't look like young Shivani, but he looks like young Shivani now. <laughs> I agree with that. He is. I, I do like his commentary, though. He's got like the um, uh, Joe. Like, I think I said this one night, but like a Joe Rogan sound, like the way that his play by play goes. Like it just uh, I, I, I do enjoy that about him. Uh, you guys had to to grow on me because you started out with uh, Marino and uh and she and then like Blake Troop was in there. And uh, so it's like it was an ever evolving group of people. And we really enjoyed Alyssa. Like we thought she was great, too. But I mean, now I'm used to it. Now I'm like, all right, all right, it's fine. You 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 said something to me on Twitter about it. But I guess that's all to do with the way the world is right now. Yeah, you know, it does. And we have and we have I'm glad we had Joe Galley for the first episode, too, because I thought, you know, that helped bridge the gap for the NWA diehards out there. And Joe should be there whenever possible, obviously. And for him to be there to call, you know, Nick Aldis defending the 10 pounds of gold against Mike Bennett just felt right. But I knew then when he had to disappear back to Texas that, you know, we might get some comments and then, and then uh, people loved Alyssa, but she had come out to visit. She lives in Orlando still, you know, she was uh, with NXT doing, um, their live events, ring announcing and doing uh, backstage interviews and stuff. And then as part of the whole COVID thing, um, you know, was furloughed, I believe. So hopefully she'll be back, but it was great that we had her those first three weeks and then six weeks on championship wrestling from Hollywood, which was a blast. So, but you know, again, there's, they could come back at any point. Uh, I know Johnny LaQuasto who called 205 live for a minute um, in the same kind of boat as Alyssa could join us, uh, at some point he'll be in town. So it's a bit of a revolving door. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I've really appreciated everybody I've worked with. I feel that I'm easy to work with and, and I appreciate you guys, you know, dealing with the, with the changes there on commentary and giving us the benefit of the doubt. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I love what you guys do. And again, you know, that real sports, it's got that good atmosphere about it that uh, is the kind of thing that we already dig. So that's, that's maintained through the whole thing. Um, what's that do to a guy like you though? Like, I mean, if you're sitting there in the center of these guys, um, obviously now you've had time to work with uh, Kincaid and, uh, and, and Blake True. Play it safe. Play yeah, it play safe. it safe. Um, so you've, uh, you've worked with these guys for long enough that I, I guess you've got your rhythm down. It sounds like you do. You sound great, but you also had it with Alyssa and like, how is it? What What's it like for like commentators when you sit down and like you go from like a galley to uh Blake troop coming in or, you know, uh, just whatever, like, don't you have to practice or something? Like, how do you get that timing down? 
sometimes you don't get that benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, when, when week one, when it was Joe Galley, Alyssa and myself, that was the first time that the three of us had ever sat uh, in the booth together there. We didn't call any practice matches, you know, I mean, that, that was it. And it's just kind of talking beforehand. I've worked with Joe before. Now we're kind of in that interesting uh, uh, boat of we're both technically play by play. Um, and so in working with Joe, I know that if he's covering something and a big move happens, he'll call it. I don't have to jump in there. I don't have to worry about jumping in and calling a pin attempt. Sometimes commentators forget. And when there's a pin attempt, you got to call it. A match could end. You have to give that respect. The match could end right then and there. Um, but so Joe, it was kind of the give and take knowing, Hey, if he's on a run of play by play, I'll switch a little more color. If I'm going, you know, play by play, he might chime in with some color, especially on the NWA stuff where he's got a real knowledge. Cause he called, you know, all of power, uh, with Alyssa, she does her research, you know, beyond compare. She had, you know, just copious notes, gets with the talent, asks the questions. So I always knew that she would have a sense of when to chime in with real um, comprehensive, you know, behind the scenes kind of uh, info. So it just worked. You know, we got lucky, really. We kind of rolled the dice and and uh, it worked. Now with Troop, you got a guy, I don't know how much you know about Bulletproof Troop, but, you know, he's a legit MMA heavyweight competitor uh, out here on the West Coast. He's won a bunch of, you know, regional titles. He was just set to compete for the Lights Out Extreme Fighting Heavyweight title, which is a big promotion out here um, that's on Fox Sports West out here. Uh, it, it was, And then the event got canceled the day of the weigh-in. So the day before the show was right when COVID hit. Uh, so he's a legit you know, badass. And I love being able to go to him for the nuts and bolts. And he'll use MMA terminology. For, for submissions and chokes that wrestling fans aren't used to hearing. And I think it's interesting. It adds a, a level of um, authenticity to it and that combat sports feel. And so I never really have to worry too much about Blake stepping on anybody's toes because he kind of knows his role of really breaking down strategy. Yeah, that, I, I think that just adds to the authenticity of it all. But go ahead, Rob. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, that 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 terminology from the MMA world just adds to the uh, to the uh, MMA or to the prize fighting veneer of it all. That you know that that we really think is important. Uh, people coming from the NWA side of things. Obviously, Rob and I are still working on our time, our, our timing, so we're <laughs> we're still getting it down. We just like jump all over each other here. Um, so, so you mentioned this with Alyssa, so I'm curious, like, and and you kind of mentioned it earlier, like. Uh, sorry if I nerd out on you about commentary stuff because I find commentary fascinating too. Um, but the so you guys are legitimately like, do they are you having to work extra hard to like talk to these competitors beforehand, or is there like time set up that you're like, you know, because it sounds like you you really are. It's not it's not the uh, BS that you're just like saying. Oh, I talked to him earlier and he said this. You know. Yeah. No. I. You know. I, I can truly say, uh, and I won't say that I've never done that, <laughs> but for, for primetime live, uh, we do catch up with the talent and treat it like a true fighter interview, you know, just like I would when I'm calling MMA and, and, you know, it is that just, it is treated as pure sport and, you know, and I think professional wrestling is, is sport. I, I will always believe that. <laughs> 
It's as Rob says, the greatest sport in the world. Um, but a lot of times it will be just getting creative with when you catch them. So a lot of the talent that is maybe appearing the first time or has a different look or whatever the case may be coming in, they, they just want a, a new title somewhere. They'll go and they'll get still shots taken and, you know, or we'll cut those uh, Saturday night's main event style promos that we all love so much. Yeah. And then as they're, I'll be kind of, we'll be kind of looming there with our notepads. And as they walk back out of that promo room, Hey, can I just get a, you know, 30 seconds of your time and, and we'll get them there, you know, because then at that point they want to start getting ready. They want to prep for their matches and I don't want to bother them at that point. So that's usually a pretty good place to catch them really quick, right out of uh, the other business that they've got to conduct photos, promos. And, uh, but no, we really do put in the work of getting information from the talent day of, I don't rest on old notes. I make sure the stuff's up to date. Yeah, it's funny how much I enjoy like the realism of that part of it, but then I'm still okay with like the Bobby Heenan jumping in sometimes as like, you know, I heard on 52nd Street last night they they found an earthquake and he tipped over a pizza truck and he emptied the whole thing out before the cops got there. Uh, So I don't know. It's like I have this weird, I don't I don't know how my brain works that I balance it out. So I'll accept every once in a while if you're faking it. Um, With that. What since we're since we're on the subject, like I mean, as as we do, like we get to talk to wrestlers sometimes. We've we've had the uh, awesome honor to speak to a, a ton of them and uh, some of them more than once. Um, what what would you like? What are your tips? What are the things you've learned? Do you have any special tips you'd give to people like us, uh, uh, us younglings, like trying to just uh, get into the scene here? Like uh, how you approach and pay respect, I guess, and, and get the most out of someone when you're talking to them. Yeah. You know, for, in terms of like getting into the business or in terms of ta- oh, talking to talent, I guess um, talking to talent, talk, yeah, talking to talent. Yeah. Uh, I would say just, you know, make it, make it real, you know, call on their real life, their real passion. You know, it takes a, it, it takes an interesting person to get into this business in any role, especially if you're going to be uh, a competitor. And, you know, there's all kinds of different stories for Chris Dickinson, for instance, the other day, you know, he was interviewed on our little, our series called the push, which are kind of documentary style sit downs with the guys. And he said, no, I don't have that story of, Oh, it's crazy how I got into wrestling. So this is what I wanted from day one. So if it's a talent that says, Hey, I've been a fan since, you know, I can remember, you know, since I was a toddler, then you can get into what what was that one thing that really flipped that switch of, hey, this is what I want to do. What are those happy memories that you had of watching professional wrestling as a kid? Who do you pattern your style after? Um, you know, what drives you to compete? What drive what what led to, to the things that created your character and really just get down to the basis of everything, you know, and, and you'll find that the people in this business deep down now, sometimes some are shyer than others. Some can speak better than others. And that's why maybe some people have a manager or a mouthpiece. But if you if you can get them to kind of break down and really, there's a lot of passion there. There's a fire. There's a spark. There's a reason they're doing this. If they're And especially if they're doing it at a high level. Uh, and if you can tap into that, you're going to get some fascinating stuff from them. Well, like a guy like you, I mean, you you are one of the people that like from an early age started out. I, I heard stories like I think, 
uh, I forget which interview I, I was listening to of yours, but you uh, talked about having the LJN figures and and that sort of thing. So like you, I mean, what's your earliest wrestling memory? My earliest wrestling memory was, I think, sitting at my grandmother's house as a kid. My older brother's three years older. He, he's flipping the, you know, the, the channels. And it was a Saturday morning. We're over there for the weekend. And wrestling was on. And it was Andre taking on, as he tended to do back then, taking on, I think, probably three enhancement talents in a handicap match. And got them all in the corner. And the, the big shoulder blocks in the corner. Stacked them up in the middle of the ring, sat on top of them, one, two, three, and just had the big Andre smile as he's, you know, waving. And so, you know, my brother's flipping through. I'm like, well, what was that? Go back to that. Uh, You know, so I remember, I remember that clearly uh, being a thing. I remember that they, you know, the commercials all the time for the, the LJN figures where it was like, snooka and hogan and big john stud and iron Sheik fighting in just like a, a you know suburban house and right. snooka's you know snooka's coming off the, the stairwell and hulk and stud are going at it and so you know and i just started started watching wrestling and, and just you know fell in love with the uh the characters and got hooked so right around that 84 85 you know right okay. at the beginning of kind of you know the the hulkamania era if you will um got me hooked where are you from originally i'm from southern california originally yeah okay born and raised out here i don't think i give up i give that vibe necessarily so much um but yeah yeah i grew up here in southern california okay i was just curious and and just always interested too like just where uh you know the doc is uh lifelong nwa ride or die like that's always been his thing i grew up a, a wwf guy so um, and I was born in South Georgia. So like, I don't even know how I ended up that way. I was dead, dead in NWA territory. And I still somehow WWF reached me. And my first memory like involves Andre. So it's like, uh, you know, it's the, it was that moment where he tore the cross off Hogan and stuff like that. Yes. It was just, oh boy, yeah. Then you're, yeah, you're probably a little bit younger than me. Um, but yeah, you know, no question. It was larger than life characters. I mean, the first live event I went to, I remember the main was Hogan and Big John Studd, $15,000 body slam challenge. Hogan body slammed him on the outside of the ring. And then Heenan claimed that it had to happen in the ring. And you don't get the money, dummy, took the money. Uh, but so I can speak your language a little bit. You know, I grew up, I was became such a huge wrestling fan that I constantly had, uh, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Wrestler, all these, you know, wrestling magazines in hand. And they covered everybody. So I really learned a lot about, you know, the NWA and the AWA and stuff at the time. I would see all these articles on, you know, on Ric Flair and Harley Race and the Horsemen and the Road Warriors and, you know, and, and then the Superstar Dream Match, of, you know, Hogan and Flair, who would win and, and all that. So I read the arena reports and saw the results. And then you know, we would get some world class would be on TV at some god awful like late night hour. So I'd see, you know, the Simpsons and I'd see the Freebirds and stuff. Um, and then I remember, you know, the first time that I really, really uh, like the NWA kind of turned my head, um, I think would have been um, the Clash of the Champions in uh, 
you know, 88 when they went up against WrestleMania four. I think WrestleMania four that year was on Showtime or something. We didn't have it, right. but we, I did watch. So I watched clash of the champions and I saw that Ric Flair sting, you know, classic time limit draw. And I was like, you know, this is, this is the real deal. You know, this is wrestling. And it definitely took notice and, and went out of my way to watch it, you know, kind of from that point on. I remember thinking like when I, I would do the same exact thing, especially in like grocery stores, when I would have to like go with my grandma or something to the grocery stores, like reading the wrestling magazines and convincing her to let me get one and that whole thing. And that was how I knew, like I, I knew who Jerry the King Lawler was like early on, but I just never seen it. I never see, I'd never seen him fight. You know, I just saw him carrying like 30 belts and uh, he was the king. And I saw the pictures of the road warriors and I knew, I knew the NWA guys looked the scariest, but I just, uh, you know, it was, uh, it's interesting. I think we've got kind of a similar background there, but uh, Rob's, is that okay with you? Yeah. We had like an hour. We we would get the WWF through like Saturday night main event. And then I think Sunday we got an hour of it, but uh, I was reading PWI and the whole victory sports series, you know, with the roll call of champions and all that stuff and became familiar with like Pacific Northwest stuff, Billy Jack Haynes and, and the mid uh, mid south stuff too, but you know we we had quite a bit of world class and uh, NWA. I, I like to ask, um, going back to what you were saying about catching a talent as they're coming out of uh, you know cutting promos or doing photo shoots, we hear a lot about people talk you know who who do what you do talk about certain talents who might their their ambiance is kind of intimidating. Like you you hear about Scott Steiner and people finding him a little unapproachable. Have you encountered that at all? Because I, I look at a guy like Chris Dickinson, man, and this guy is like he's I love him. He's amazing. But how do you approach a guy like that? And are you is ever ever hesitant to? And and how do you overcome that? <laughs> yeah, Dickinson can definitely be you know imitate uh, intimidating. And you know there was that that one interview that happened off air that then they ended up airing where he wanted to know what the big announcement was, and he's grabbing my tie and roughing me up a little bit. You know. Uh, but then it's, you know, when, when he was cutting his promos and they're like, you know, Saturday night's main event style. And, and he, he knew exactly, he grew up with that, right. That was kind of his favorite show growing up. So knew, he knew exactly. And he's like, oh, okay, a, a little bit of macho man. And that's like, now you'll never unhear it now because now when you watch him and he goes Tuesday night, prime time live. You know, it's like there's just that there's that hint of macho because I'm know, never in here. It you're right. That's never on Tuesday night, prime time live. Um, and and so when you realize that at the foundation of it all, he's a fan too. He's a that's what got him into this into this business. And yes, it can be very intimidating approaching a talent um, that you don't know very well and then has that kind of mystique but they're professionals and they want their their story and their offense and their strategy and everything else their story because in essence we're storytellers right they're as commentators there's a story being told in the ring and we're there to weave that into our call what's happening but the fans can see what's happening but maybe there's little nuances that the fans don't know and maybe little things that we heard from from the competitors that we can chime in. We can be that voice that they can't say everything. In a pre-match promo, they can't say, this is my strategy. But once the bell rings, 
we can say that we caught up with so-and-so and this is something to look for. They're not going to tip their hand ahead of time and give their strategy. So, you know, at the end of the day, they, they want to work with us and give us the information because they want that to be conveyed properly on commentary. They don't want us to just go out there and fly by the seat of our pants and make stuff up and say whatever we want. It's important to them. And, you know, and I've had a lot of talents that have said, thank you so much for taking the time for getting with me because it, you know, it means a lot, you know, they see that we're going out of our way because we care, right? you know? Uh, and I think then when they hear the call back, a lot of times they'll come back. Oh man, thanks so much for mentioning that really trying to get that across. And that's where I'm going with the character or whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's a partnership. It's a partnership, uh, that that's a big intangible, I think, in, in the whole presentation of the match. Yeah. I'd like to think that as time has gone on, like uh, everybody that's in it now is grown up loving the business. It would seem like for the most part and uh, yeah, understanding the importance of all of these different areas in the business. I don't mean to jump around all over the place, but I am curious, like when you took your love of wrestling, like, you know, I don't want to make you tell any stories you've told like a hundred times or anything, but I'm always interested in how a guy like forces his way into doing something like that. We've all had dreams and like, you know, I played with wrestling figures. I made like little pay-per-views with my, my guys on a video camera, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but what, what was it that like, did you think that that would be something you would do early on? Because I know you went into like football and that sort of thing. And, and, and eventually, and we can get to that, the, the USC stuff, like you mentioned, but was, was wrestling always something that like, hung in the back that you thought you might do? Yeah. Well, and the key to it, 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 it ties in with, with USC. It, it really was what opened the door and I'll get to that. But yeah. Um, you know, I, I, when Rick Bassman opened his school down here, um, I went and trained for a little bit, uh, you know, back then I was defensive tackle. So, you know, I'm, I'm six foot tall, six, one program height, but you know, probably closer to, 5'11 in reality, but at the time, you know, I was an ice box, man. I was 275, 280 pounds. Um, it was distributed a little differently back then. And, uh, you know, and I always wanted to get in the ring and mix it up. So I trained, trained a little bit. Uh, there was a trainer, Reggie Bennett, who, you know, uh, women's wrestler that was, you know, had wrestled a lot in Japan. Uh, Tom Howard, uh, who trained a lot of the greats. And, but then it was right around that time that I got the opportunity you know, to go to USC and, and, um, work towards, you know, earning a full scholarship there. And it was just, I switched gears cause I, I, I didn't want to risk that opportunity in education, but I always wanted to get into, um, sports casting or journalism, or, you know, voiceovers, that type of thing. Cause I've always been like a, you know, just like a character. And so at, when I was at USC, I met a guy by the name of, uh, Chris Bell who uh, was like a, a filmmaker, went to, you know, film school there. So he did Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which is... I was about to say, I, I know exactly who that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done uh, Prescription Thugs and a bunch. We became really good friends. So we were talking over a few adult beverages uh, one time, and, uh, and he realized, dude, you know your stuff, man. You're like an encyclopedia, so you should really get into this. Well, at the time... He was helping produce UPW, Ultimate Pro Wrestling, down in Orange County and uh, Rick Bassman's promotion. And at the time, that's where John Cena started, or he was the prototype. It's where Samoa Joe got his start. A lot of guys. Um, Victoria, 
you know, Kazarian and, and uh, Daniels both came through there. Uh, Brian Kendrick came through there at one point. So, I mean, it was loaded. So I kind of got my foot in the door by they would do these, what they called a, a UPW light show, which was their students. They had a, a school too. The school, the students would put on these shows uh, with, you know, pretty much friends and family going. And so I asked, Hey, can I just come and like ring announce? So it started with that. And then th- this is kind of a cool story. So all of a sudden I get this phone call and it was Chris's brother, Mark Bell who wrestled there as smelly. And now he's got like a powerlifting empire. Uh, he's like, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta get down here to the galaxy. We have a huge show and the play-by-play guy's sick. Doc Marley, he's not going to make it. Just grab a suit and get down here. So I fly down the freeway. Well, back then UPW was a, a kind of official, unofficial West coast developmental territory for WWF. I remember and hearing so- like Jim Ross tell stories about it and stuff yeah. like that. JR would come there and scout talent. Uh, Tom, Dr. Tom Pritchard would come there and st- scout talent. So anyway, as a, as a kind of re, um, you know, the favor was WWE would put their talent on the show sometime. So the very first show I ever called had uh, Samoa Joe versus Tommy Dreamer, uh, Molly Holly versus Victoria. And Victoria was just, you know, about to, to sign and go or had signed, but was about to be on TV and uh, Kazarian and Nova um, against edge and Christian. <laughs> so that's the first show I ever called. Nice. And, uh, and you know, talk about a baptism by fire, man. And I mean, listening to it back, I just like, I cringe. It was, it was awful. <laughs> uh, you know, I sound like I'm doing a, you know, a, a, a Joey styles impression or something, but um but it was from there that then they they liked they liked me and they kept me on and that was just the foot in the door. It was just kind of happenstance, you know, right place, right time. So how's that roll into like the USC thing? Like exactly, like I mean, as far as well, it was because I, I made the connection with Chris Bell was a USC uh, film major. Oh, so oh, I, I got you. Okay, I'm sorry. I met Chris at USC. All right. So it was that SC connection that you know, otherwise <clears throat> would have never happened. It was just one of those things yeah i mean but it does sound like you're playing a lot to luck but i happen to know like i mean you you uh you're also i mean you're a stubborn guy like you're a a hard-headed guy it sounds like i mean like with you in football uh, i heard you tell a story like right you, you didn't walk into usc like with a scholarship or any of that stuff like you you had to bust your ass to to make it into that college and then that presented these opportunities right yeah they were capped out on scholarships uh but they had had you know a guy or two declare for the draft but so they needed defensive linemen but they didn't have any scholarships available and they're like hey you know come in here no you know no promises no guarantees and here i am you know six foot 275 pounds taking on you know double (laughs) division one double teams you know two 300 pounders so that's that's 275 taking on 600 uh, but I, you know, I fought and I, I took on our first string offense every day and, and made plays and just kept busting my ass. I was a good student. So they like that, you know, cause it always looks good to have some guys with a, a high GPA on the team. Um, so, you know, I ended up being the graduating uh, senior with, you know, the high, I, I think it was like a three, seven, five. It was the highest GPA on the team. And I had a year of eligible, you know, I had more eligibility left and I fought and fought 
And then after that spring, we were really injury ridden. So I was getting a ton of reps in scrimmages and just was dog tired. And then when they did their spring awards at the end, they did, you know, offensive player of the spring and defensive player of the spring and this and that. And then it was Paul Hackett, who was the head coach at the time, said, um, oh, you know, we got one more award to give and, you know, full scholarship awarded to Todd Kennelly. And it was, ah, everybody went nuts and, you know, shaking me around and slapped me on the shoulder. And, you know, it was just it was a, a great moment. So it was when that happened, because that was such a huge goal for me to, to make it at SC and get a scholarship. So I think I did get stubborn after that because. You know, it was hard for me to take no for an answer when it came to making it into wrestling. I just kept pushing, pushing. And I've had my ups and downs. You know, I was on impact wrestling and calling, you know, impact every week and calling pay-per-views. And at that time, the, the roster was stacked. You know, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, um, Jeff Hardy, Kurt Angle, you know, Hogan was there. Like it was it was a good time, fun time to be there. And then they took the show on the road and, and that was expensive and they had to start making cuts. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I was still negotiating contract at that point. So I was dispensable, uh, but you know, no regrets. Like uh, those, I had such great um, experiences there. I mean, if you would have told me that I was going to call uh, a sting, you know, a sting uh, match or a Kurt Angle, AJ Styles match, you know, or, or call Hogan segments as a kid, I would have told you you're nuts, you know, and I would have been the happiest person alive. So sometimes you got to take things in stride and just enjoy the, the victories along the way. Well, you've got like a, um, I mean, like if you uh, do a little research, you can find Todd like uh, breaking through the O-line and uh, sacking the quarterback and throwing up the Hogan pose. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So I thought that was that was pretty admirable to see you work your way through there. But before you before you got to Impact, I mean, you were you you met Marquez and stuff first, right? Like doing yeah. the or was that I met Marquez a long time ago because he was actually helping Bassman produce their TV at UPW. Oh, so okay. in my earliest days, you know, I crossed paths with uh, with Dave Marquez and then would work with him throughout the years. He did New Japan, so the the original New Japan LA Dojo. They shot New Japan Pro Wrestling USA Tokon Fighting Spirit out of the dojo. I did play-by-play -play on that. CM Punk was on color, so looking back, that was crazy. Uh, but guys like Nakamura were on that show, Samoa Joe. Um, you know, so that was cool. And then the earliest incarnation of championship wrestling from Hollywood was all, was tied to the NWA. It was NWA Championship Wrestling from, from Hollywood. We shot at CBS Columbia Square Studios in Hollywood, and that was stacked. Uh, you know, the champ, Adam Pierce was the champion, and then uh, Blue Demon Jr. at, at that time uh, won the title. You know, Brian Danielson, um, Daniel Bryan was on the show back then, the Young Bucks, um, uh, Trevor Murdoch, and Cade and Murdoch were a tag team on the show. So, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was stacked, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I bring that up is just because, I mean, you we did a whole show covering the feud between Colt and Adam Pierce and uh, the seven levels of hate. And and you were right in the middle of that. Like you you called at least one of those matches, right? Like it. Yeah, well, I, I called I called their their feud leading up. And so I had called when Cabana first won the title. 
right. in 2011. Um, and that was, that was great. You know, I called their, uh, rematch. It, it was like a no, you know, a street fight or Pierce, uh, pile gave uh, cabana pile driver on a table through a fireball at him, all that. And then seven levels of hate, uh, specifically, I called the first match in the series, which was first blood. And that was here at championship wrestling from Hollywood. And that was such a cool image because he had the white turnbuckle pads. Right. And at some point along the way, Pierce had got the referee was out, whatever Pierce had gotten busted and Cabana took him into the buckle time and time again. And he just had the blood stained white turnbuckle pad. You know, the ref came to saw the turnbuckle saw Pierce. Um, and, and then also, in post ended up calling the very controversial uh, steel cage match from Australia where oh, they was, just laid in the middle of the ring, right? Where it wasn't sanctioned uh, in all that, you know, all that tumultuous stuff was happening with the NWA at the time. That's amazing that you're a part of that history. I mean, obviously we're huge fans of the NWA stuff and yeah, we did that whole series or like a whole episode just based around that feud uh, and we definitely threw up that turnbuckle image at one point on the YouTube show, the live show that night. Um, so that was a pretty big deal. How do, how do you, um, well, like you said, I mean, you get hard headed, you get stubborn. Um, it, it feels like with, I don't know, man, I, I just admire people like this, that like you go in and you get a job like impact. Now this, had you been applying with WWE during this time as well, or was this before you even yeah, no, I had, and WWE, so I had a few opportunities with them. One was, uh, the first opportunity was, and again, I had great footage. I had <laughs> John Cena matches. I had a John Cena-Kazarian match that I called with Dr. Tom Pritchard. It's pretty good, you know, pretty good thing for the real to send in. Um, but I had gotten so many rejection letters, uh, you know, thanks but no thanks type of thing, nothing available. And then, oddly enough, it was, gosh, I, I never really thought of it this, but it was kind of Chris Bell again, the guy that got me into the business, then ended up with a job on the creative team for um, WWE and got my tape personally into the hands of Michael Cole. And then all of a sudden it was different. So uh, they, they shot SmackDown out here on the West Coast at Fresno, and I got the invite to come up. And they set up like a little audition uh, behind the scenes. So I went into a room and they had the monitors and they had me uh, call three matches with Taz and uh, and then do some stand up with Taz, stand ups with Taz. And it went really well, like really well. Kevin Dunn came out of the truck, shook my hand. They had me listen to that whole Smackdown taping in the can so I could hear uh, you know, the production talking to the announcers, the whole bit. I'm thinking, yeah, I got this. And, uh, then they fly me out to Stanford and me and my, you know, ignorance is like, okay, I already auditioned. So I'm good. They took me in the studio, put me through the pieces, big studio camera comes down, the red light goes on and uh, I froze up, man. I was mm. like shaking like a leaf deer in the headlights for the standups. Now, when it came to the sitting down and doing commentary, you know, I think it, it went well, but they didn't, they didn't pull the trigger. They flew me back to audition me as a live events host. And then they never ended up, they hired, they just moved somebody from within. Then the last time I went back, there was 2009 um, and called um, 
gosh, oh, with uh, Joey Styles called matches with Joey Styles. Did stand up with him and John Kapurik Big was overseeing the audition then. And same thing, I got a little shaky for the stand ups, but then turned it around. Did I felt really well on the commentary? And afterwards, Big met with me one on one, and he's like, you know, just really put over my commentary. He's like, you you get it, you flow with the match. I get all these sports guys in here that just, you know, they're either up here all the time or they're here the whole time or they don't know to tell a story. They're just telling, you know, calling moves. And I felt really good about it. But same thing. They said they were going to whittle it down to the final three, which they did. And then I got a call that I had made the final three of the people they were looking at, but then they didn't take any of us. Oh, <laughs> so man. backhand. But uh, we want to know, we want you to know how much we think of your work. I'm like, ah, oh, well, thanks. That's, it's not, that's good. It's not really paying the bills, is it? <laughs> no. If, if you so, ever watch, uh, I know you're probably worn out on, on Tuesday nights when Primetime Live is ending, but when we when we go on afterwards to review, a lot of times it's a it's a Todd Kennelly Appreciation Society, you know, just talking <laughs> about the 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 way the the way you guys paint context and 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 um help bring the story along, especially to people who might be tuning in that may not be as aware. Because I think one of the great things about UWN is, is um, you really do have this menagerie of talent. They're bringing in, expo- you know, exposing a lot of talent from a lot of different places. And, and you guys do a great job of, of, of painting the picture and filling in gaps. Uh, and I don't want this to sound, it's not like you're new to this. You've been doing this for a long, long time. I'm, I'm curious, is there anybody, um, on the on the color or on the commentary side of things that 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 inspires you that you look up to or that you study from and or that you uh, not necessarily imitate but that you model your style after. Well, yeah, Todd. Before you answer that, what were you about to say? Oh, I was just going to say. Then it was you know months later was I did the Australian tour with uh, Hogan and Flair in the main event, and that's when I worked with. Hogan and Bischoff, they liked what I did. And that's kind of where the opportunity with impact came okay. from there. But, but yeah, uh, Rob. Gorilla Monsoon. Yes. Thank you. Gorilla <laughs> yes, Monsoon. And I, I've noticed it. He, it, you, you know, it's been so long and it, uh, I'm sorry to, to jump in on you, Todd, but I, I, I do have to just acknowledge that like this, uh, You'll have to say it because I can't, but this, even this last week, as we're recording this, you uh, mentioned in the uh, Mike Bennett match, uh, the per, something protuberance and it right. just brought right. a tear to my eye. Here we go. <laughs> repeat, repeat after me. External. External. Occipital. Occipital. Protuberance. Protuberance. External occipital protuberance. That's beautiful. <laughs> no, I heard that and I was like, that is, oh man, it's been so long. Nobody does that anymore. And that was one of my favorite things about Gorilla. But anyway, I stepped all over you. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Gorilla, Gorilla for me was, was you know, is the one I think I probably borrow the most from. Um, and I'll name drop. I'm like, I'm not going to say external occipital protuberance, you know, and not mention Gorilla Monsoon. But I, I mean, I vividly remember as a kid him saying that. And Ventura, you know, was like, what's that, Gorilla? You know, it's like, oh, it's a little bump on your back of the head, Jess. Everyone's got one. And he just said it so nonchalant, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, but Gorilla really, back then, would break down, because he was an in-ring competitor, too. So he would break down, you know, what these holds and stuff were doing. You know, it's the first time I heard a lot of things like a carotid artery, artery or lower lumbar region. And, you know, I remember even... Uh, like Hogan and Warrior at 
at WrestleMania six, Gorilla's just like, you know, Hogan got his knee, uh, went to the outside and was clutching his knee and Warriors kicking it. And Gorilla's just like, I think he might've just temporarily dislocated his patella, Jess. That's, that's the kneecap. He was just so educated. Yeah. I love that. Right. So now whatever. Solar plexus is one that stands out. Solar plexus. Solar plexus. (laughs) All these things, like all these, you know, uh, terms, uh, kinesiology type stuff that I had never heard. And then with Gorilla, I just think there was such a calm to the way he, he called stuff. Sure. His energy would go up, but just, you know, to this point or to this day, uh, if there's a title match, you'll, you'll hear me say golden opportunity for this guy. That's a gorillaism. You know, I might, I might randomly add city to the end of a name like clothesline city. That's okay. very gorilla. Um, <laughs> So even without thinking about it, sometimes I think there's a lot of gorilla in me. Um, Every time I that, hear irresistible force meets the immovable yeah. object, I think of gorilla now too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. But also, you know, I think doing it kind of like a, a pure sports cast style. I think there's, there's maybe a little, I, I think he just had such a classy um, kind of just, straight laced way of doing it. But I think there's even maybe a little bit of Gordon Soley every, every once in a while. Um, and then when I think when the energy like really gets manic, um, I, like I said, man, and like you said, Saturday night's main event was a big part of my childhood growing up. So every once in a while, there's a little bit of a of commentary Vince, which to me, people can say, Oh, he didn't, you know, he didn't call moves or, but there was such a, just a frenetic energy and I mean, I love the uh, one, two, he got him. No, he didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was hoping you'd bring that up. Yeah. Because hey, people, people could crap on it if they want to, but I love that Vince McMahon stuff and that he was never right about that damn pinfall. <laughs> he just yeah. always, he thought every time that was it. <laughs> I think recently, I, I think recently I even said, you know, all's fair in love and war. And that's something I definitely remember from Vince, you know, like, Hogan would back rake or something and Jesse would be like, I don't know how you cheer for this guy, McMahon. And all's fair in love and war, Jesse. It's like, (laughs) it was just, it was, it was fun, man. It was fun. But I do, I do appreciate because I, you know, earlier on, you mentioned like respecting the pinfall and just that at any point that's uh, that could be it. So that, that does, it it feels right now. Like thinking about it. I don't know. I just, I, I dig that. Um, yeah, I I guess since you're more of a play-by-play guy, um, it's uh, you've worked in color. I mean, I always Gorilla and um, Bobby and Gorilla and Jesse are always my go-to as well. Um, but it feels like color is like a like a, a whole different world. I know, like you, you've dabbled in it, but it, that that one seems like you have to like. Correct me if I'm wrong. Play by play seems like you got to know your stuff. Like you got to know, like you got to be researched, well informed going into this thing. Colors like you better be quick witted or something. Like with the cornets and the Venturas and the uh, Bobby Heenan's, like they're just quick on their feet with like ridiculous things they say. Well, and I think the I think the roles are in flux sometimes. Okay. You know, and especially if I'm working with say a, a Joe Galley. You know, or if you watch like, you know, the WWE product, like, you know, Corey Graves will call stuff if he's in the middle of talking. Um, 
but you know, I think color has to have a lot of the, that background info. Now, if it's a Bobby Heenan or something, yes, they're going to put their own bias and spin and ridiculous statements. Like you said, Oh, oh yeah, I, this happened and whatever. Um, but I think more play by play. And I go into a lot of color, I think too, on my play by play or I'll, I'll pose questions and then throw it to, sure. you know, cause I don't want to just say everything. Right. I've got two people sitting there that I want their, their opinion and their, their background to come into play. But I think the main role of play by play is to kind of dictate the pace of the call and the energy where the energy goes and steering the ship. And, you know, what you don't see because there's not a camera on us all the time is I will say something and I will look at troop or I'll look at James Kincaid or I'll tap him on the shoulder and be like, you know, kind of in essence, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, we're a trio tag team. Right. So I'm tagging out in the booth. You don't see it, but just so we're not stepping on each other's toes and we get that, we get that chemistry of, of who's going to talk. And you know, it's, you're passing the baton a lot. That makes sense. That's a that's a good point or something to to listen out for. Um, I, Todd, I don't want to take up all your time. I'm I've, I've got, I'm uh, so just you know, tell us to shut up if you if you feel like it at any point. But uh, um, I gotta know. So going back to a little bit more of your story, you talked about the Australia thing. Um, you were in there with Hogan and. First of all, I mean, I guess like how'd that really become? And then what's it like? Cause I saw, I, I assume these clips are from there. I saw clips of you interviewing like backstage segments with you and Hogan and yeah. Flair. Like that's for you. I mean, for any of us, that's gotta be like a huge deal. Like what, it, what are you thinking during that time? It was awesome. And I mean, that wasn't the first time I'd worked with, with Hogan and Bischoff. We had done uh, celebrity championship wrestling, which was on CMT. I wanted to I, talk about that too because that seems like an oh insane God. time too. Like, yeah, what is it that? Was, it was a circus. <laughs> it was a circus. Um, but yeah, in Australia, you know, I wore a lot of hats. So, uh, and I had done like international tours with Rikishi and Knox Pro Entertainment, his brand, and so I they they were involved in this too. But I en- en- ended up doing a ton of production, formatting the shows, lighting cues, music cues. You know, just. Every leading the production meetings, you name it. So at one point, you know, and it's kind of one of my favorite little stories is um, Jimmy Hart comes up to me and he's like, hey, baby, Hulkster wants to sit down and go over creative, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, and, and uh, because this was, you know, on this tour was uh, Brutus Beefcake and The Godfather and Gangrel and Hogan and Flair and all these great characters, Umaga. So, I mean, in putting matches and stuff together, I almost felt like that little kid with the with the action figures again. Here's these guys that I grew up watching, and now, I, you know, I'm kind of shaping how this show is going to get put together. I feel so, like a really important part of that is that's Jimmy Hart's normal speaking voice. That's apparently. how he talks, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and maybe not quite that high, you know, but yes, very close. Right. Um, so in walks Hulk, and Hulk is always Hulk, right? So... He walks in, he's got a tank top on and the bandana. He's got the glasses up on the bandana. Sits right across the table from me. He's just sitting there mowing over the mustache. And so I go down what I had in mind for the first show and stuff. And all the while I'm thinking, man, seven-year-old me is going to be crushed if I go through my ideas for this show 
and the Hulkster just, you know, shits all over my ideas. <laughs> right. I'm going to just bust into tears and, and run out. So he's sitting there and then he's like, I love it, brother. Let's do it. Let's do it, brother. I'm like, oh my God, this, you know, crazy. And so, yeah, then got to do backstage interviews with Hogan and Flair. And Flair at the end is, you know, looks at me and, and, you know, woo, you know, so I had to like, you know, sell, sold the woo, right. As, as you must. And then when I interviewed Hulk, he played the hits, man. He played the hits in this interview, right? He straight up, you know, God created the heavens and earth's brother. And on the seventh day, a pair of 24 inch pythons. And this <laughs> is where the power lies. And I mean, it was just, and he, at one point even said, uh, I'll never forget. It's so hard to keep a straight face. Um, he's like, Ric Flair, when the Hulkster gets his hands on you, brother, your knees are going to wheeze, your liver's going to quiver, and your back is definitely going to crack, Jack. And I'm sitting there holding my <laughs> and just about to lose, lose it, right? I mean, how do you keep a straight yeah. face? And then, so at the end, you know, and I'm having my mean gene moment, right? And at the end, he goes, so you know what, little dude? And he, like, pokes me in the chest. There's only one thing left to say. Ric Flair, what you going to do? And then he goes into it. And I was like, man, this is just surreal you know there's a level of intensity Todd like I watched the video and you and you had I think it's like maybe you posted it but like there's a a video not from the main cameras but it's like from a different angle and it's showing like Hogan standing off to the side as you're doing the lead-in and um you're like well tonight we've got a match you know and you're saying all the stuff and Hogan's just kind of just like looking down at the ground, just standing there, just waiting. And it's like the second you call him in, it is, I don't know. It just, maybe I'm crazy. It just never hit me as much as in that video, seeing him get right up in your face. And he's like a six foot, whatever dude. And he's yeah. just like, well, you know something, brother. <laughs> oh, and I was like, God, what is, who is this guy? Like, it just seems so intense and insane. I don't, I don't know. I would have just, I would have crapped my pants. Like, I don't know. Well, that's funny, man. If he's, I mean, if you go back and watch the video, when he starts going into the, what you going to do, like I am fighting to smile. Like it is, my face (laughs) is just cracking, you know, (laughs) it's tough. It's tough. But yeah, it was, it was a trip and it was, uh, it was a, you know, it was a great experience. And something I certainly didn't expect to do. You know, I called a Hogan Flair match with Eric Bischoff on color. I mean, it's nuts. So what do you think it was? Like, I mean, a guy with your experience and your your amount of, like, you've, you've seen so much that, like, when the WWE thing happened, like, what makes you crack, like, right then? And keep going because I feel like that's the ultimate nightmare. Sorry to bring this back up, but that, that's yeah. like the ultimate nightmare. A lot of people would have is like, you go there and you freeze or something like that. Like what, what, what do you well, think made that happen? And what, what kept you going? I don't, well, I think what made it happen was this is, I mean, cause I've done countless broadcasts, right. You know, and before and since then. So I think it was, this is, you know, your childhood dream, everything encapsulated in this moment, because I had had that previous audition at SmackDown with Taz and everything was clean. No problems, not nervous on the standups. I think it was just something about that moment and being in that, that studio and that it's like, 
it's everything you've dreamed of hinging on that moment, you know? And what's crazy about it is then a few years later, uh, I got the call to go to impact and it was, I thought to audition. So I'm thinking, Oh, great. Here we go again. So I get there and then I'm in the, uh, for, format meeting, like last creative meeting. And Eric's like, Hey, everybody, this is Todd Kennelly. Uh, he and Jeremy, uh, Borash JB are going to call the first hour. So I got there and find out on the fly that I'm calling the first hour of impact live with JB. We've never worked together. And so, and we start with an on-camera from the desk and I'm not shaking then and I'm not nervous and I deliver it <laughs> perfectly. And I, you know, have a great call on all those matches. And obviously they kept me around. So it's like, if there was any time for that to happen, it would have been finding out that I'm going to get thrown on live TV. And a few hours later that day, not just in a studio setting with a handful of people watching, it's just right. weird how it happened. I think it's just that WWE mystique at the time, I guess, got the better of me. So you think it was all this, just that you, you've, you've dealt with this. You had to work for the scholarship. You had to work through like all this other stuff. You're just like, all right, well, that did, that opportunity didn't work. I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people would just be like, oh, well, I just, I ruined it. You know, <laughs> like that's it. Yeah. And, yeah. and you kept plugging along. Right. Because I mean, I love this, you know, I wasn't going to let, look, there's other outlets out there and, and, um, you know, I've gotten to call so many great things and great moments in the NWA. You know, I called NWA title matches, like I said, back when it was, you know, the Pierce Cabana feud. But then it just so happened was back uh, in the mix when, and I know, I think it's just the third year anniversary today. Am I right of uh, Storm and Aldis one, which one. was, yeah, uh, right. yeah. which was at uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood. So I think because of my experience in calling NWA matches on the show in the past, they threw me on the team with Joe Galley and Johnny LaQuasto for that match. And uh, so I got to be part of NWA history again, which was great. That's amazing. So, Rob, did you? I, I've been talking to his no, ear no, off. Did you? No, I was, just, I was just saying that that is amazing. Yeah, I was just reading about that today. <laughs> so. Um. When you so did it feel like another slap in the face when like the impact thing fell apart like when they just decided you were the guy they could cut like how did how did you take that at the time it was hard I mean I understood because again I you know I think Taz and Tanae had re-upped and and I was still negotiating and um, it was hard because and the whole the whole thing was tough because coming in like the story I just told I'd call the first. Uh, hour of impact with JB and we tag out to Tanae and Taz and we did that I think for three weeks and then then we had a pay-per-view I think it was final resolution maybe something like that end of uh 2012 and I get there and they're like yeah you're gonna be lead with Taz as color and Tanae as the professor because he's been here forever and he knows everything and that was putting everybody in a tough spot Taz and Tanae, I'm sure, didn't want that, right? They had their chemistry and they had they had their vibe. And now all of a sudden you got this guy getting thrown in the middle. Uh, but I think like the fan base liked it because I would bring the focus. Tanae and Taz would have their banter and stuff and they're amazing. They're great. But I would bring the focus back to the match and the action. Um, I worked really hard. I, I was well prepared. You know, it was it it was disheartening because again, it was 
Bruce Pritchard, who um, broke the news, and I'll never forget it. He said to me, he goes, this is so hard because, and he goes, and I hate my job right now because I wish I had a reason to be doing this. I have no, you've given me no reason. You're doing a great work. You show up at every meeting. You're never late. You have passion. It's nothing you did. It was just the state of things, where things were with budget and everything else. And I wasn't under contract to protect myself. So I remember Pritchard looking at me and be like, I wish I had a reason, but I don't, you know? And so that was tough because I had put in the work and I had earned my spot, I believe. But uh, they took a gamble with uh, taking the show on the road and that didn't pay off. And, uh, and I was, you know, one of the first victims. And then it was a fire sale from there. All the, a lot of the big contract guys, I'm not, wasn't a big contract guy, but wasn't long after that, that, you know, uh, your stings and AJ's and Hogan himself and, you know, Matt Morgan and guys like that were, you know, all gone. Yeah. That's that uh, changed drastically at that point. The roster. You mentioned the push earlier and people should check that out on YouTube, but you did tell a, like a really beautiful story of it. Like, I mean, even though something like that happens, there's the moment that UWN, like they welcome you back, like you're home. And uh, so that had to feel pretty good, right? Yeah, it was days later, and I no one had contacted me to book, but I just saw online they're like, "Oh, welcome TK back! You'll be a championship wrestling from Hollywood." I'm like, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm going back. But you know, and then when I came out, uh, you know, got like a got a pretty good pop for you know by announcer standards, and yeah, uh, yeah it it was good to get right back in the saddle and not have that period of uh, you know, oh, woe is me, and why did this happen, and no, I just kept kept like I've always done. Just kept on keeping on, man, because I love this. Any opportunity to call pro wrestling, um, you know, was a blessing to me. How do you keep um, the energy up? You know, you, you, going back again to something you talked about earlier, you, you said in that WWE tryout that they reference that like they get sports guys in there that are up and down or, you know, just you, you had the flow down and that sort of thing. I'm just curious. Uh, I even think about it with our live shows. Sometimes I'm like, I got to come in hot. Like we're, we're going to, we got to be excited. And uh, some days you, I know you're not feeling it. Like some days you're probably just not like super energetic or maybe you are, maybe you're just excited to be there, but it, but especially now and like the empty arena, does it change with the fans? Like all of that. Can you, can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. No, I definitely can. So it is a challenge in an empty arena, but um, only really because you don't have that crutch of listen to this ovation. <laughs> or if there's a chant, a lot of times on commentary, if there's a chant, you'll lay out, let the chant speak for itself for a second and then pick back up. There's none of that. But what's interesting is, uh, and it's just a weird microcosm of everything, is the talent enjoys hearing the commentary because it gives them that sense of energy because we're close enough that they hear it. So they hear the big response on commentary to a big move and it gives them just enough of that taste of that, that I've had people come back like, Oh man, I'm so glad we could hear your commentary because otherwise it would just be a, a vacuum, you know? Right. Um, but on commentary, it makes it more of a challenge because you do have to almost go, uh, wall to wall. Although I think it, 
it's a thing where it's had to make us work harder on commentary, but the talent in ring talent too. Because what I like about it is there's none of the, uh, you know, you don't get the classic, you know, oh, fire up, rah, rah, uh, or, you know, the uh, heel looking out to the crowd. It's more, it's prize fight wrestling. It's more one-on-one. It's focused. It's a fight. And you hear the talent vocalize a lot more in there in terms of trash talking and stuff. So right. I think it, I think in, in terms of the actual bell to bell, I think it's actually dialed up the intensity a little bit. And the strikes really res. If there's a big chop, it echoes, man, because there's not the crowd drowning it out. So obviously we want our fans back and we don't want it like this forever. But I think for the talent that has had to perform during this time, it's only made, it made them better as performers. Um, but for the energy, yeah, like primetime lives like a vacation compared to doing a championship wrestling from Hollywood taping. Because this the weekend going into this last show, we taped – Saturday and Sunday, and we shot eight weeks of TV over two days. Mm. So when you're doing that, it is tough to keep your energy up. And it's tough because you're seeing the same talent walk through that curtain on numerous episodes, but you're calling it all in one kind of condensed period. You start to feel real repetitive on commentary because you're saying the same character beats and you're calling the same moves. But in the end, it's not going to matter because it'll air weeks you know opposing weeks but it is really a challenge when you've been sitting there calling for you know three four hours straight to keep that same energy for the main event of episode four as you did for opening match of episode one um but you know you you just gotta you just gotta do it i mean that's your job and again i don't have to manufacture it because i really am excited when i'm out when i'm out there and and as a fan, first and foremost, I still get excited by the action. Yeah, um, I never even thought about that. You bring up some interesting points with that, that um, just about repeating lines and that sort of thing. I, I've been to every NWA power taping, for instance. So I get what you're saying about like being in the small room. And yeah, you're, you're seeing the same people walk in and out. And so even in the crowd, after a while, like towards those later moments of the show, you're kind of like, all right, I'm out of energy now, but, uh, luckily, I mean, I, I assume maybe you guys have tricks like this too. I remember like on at the end of like power, Billy's usually the guy walking out there and just like, he's got that, I guess, rock star background. So he's got the, uh, a lot of the, give me a little bit more, come on, you know, like, you know, we, we, we're, we're powering through this. We're almost there. And so people tend to get right back into it. But any, I, I never even thought about just like how it must feel to like, call the same person's match multiple times or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And you bring up a great point with fans too, because it's like, <clears throat> I think it's uh, the old uh, economic kind of uh, theory was the, the uh, law of diminishing marginal utility. Right. So it's like, yeah, ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. Yeah. I don't want any more ice cream. <laughs> no. <laughs> so but we have great fans. And of course, there's a whole different energy in those power tapings. So, you know, it doesn't show. But yeah, it's, it's you know, everybody's got a limited gas tank and you can only keep that up for so for so long. Right. Um, Todd, Rob's got a bounce. I, 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 he had a hard out and I have talked so much. So I wanted to give him a second. And it, it, I had a couple more questions. If you don't have time, we can do it another time. Um, 
but uh, if you're cool, we'll uh, we'll give Rob an exit. Rob, did you uh, have anything you, that I completely walked over you on, and you wanted to talk to Todd about? No, 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 no. no. I wanted to. Uh, I've got my 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 uh, my wife and daughter are going to walk in here in about five minutes, and if I'm not ready for them, they're going to be ticked. So, uh, but uh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we are now nine weeks into UWN Primetime Live. We've seen some some amazing stuff, some stuff that we've been a little bit critical of, but it's all in all, it's been pretty good. Who who do you look at as this is the talent that everybody needs to watch right now? This is the one that that here very very soon, this is the one that's going to be the game changer. Um, I you know I think you got to you got to mention Danny Limelight Rivera in that just in what he's accomplishing all of a sudden, um, you know, hard not to respect the guy, you know, he's a proud, uh, you know, Marine father, you know, questioned uh, whether to walk away from pro wrestling at one point. I know you guys have talked to him, um, but, you know, has really worked hard and I'm just, I'm so, op- I'm so happy to see the opportunities coming his way in the form of, you know, United Wrestling Network with Hollywood and and Primetime Live, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, is you know he's had a couple really good showings on AEW uh, on Dark and, uh, and uh, GCW. I mean the guy's just blowing up all of a sudden because he's another guy that just won't take no for an answer, man. He keeps finding a way. Uh, he's a great singles wrestler. I think he and Papo as the Bodega are great, um, and so he's just I think. A lot of people, if you ask, well, who's the breakout star of Primetime Live? A lot of people will say um, Chris Dickinson, and he is. You know, he's, he's – but I think they're just different. Um, and, and Dickinson was already making waves, you know, on the East Coast, had his match then with Moxley at Bloodsport. But I would say, you know, I'd have to say um, that Limelight is is the guy to look look for. Yeah, man, Limelight is, uh, and we did get a chance to talk to him. And this guy's got money written all over him. Um, do you have a pick? Uh, and maybe you're not even allowed to do this. Maybe you shouldn't for journalistic integrity. But do you have a pick <laughs> for the uh, the championship match here, the uh, in the tournament? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I will. I will follow the college day, game day mentality of well, you'll be on the call, so you don't get a big analysis. Um, I, I for one, am glad that uh and who knows with the switch in the brackets maybe it wouldn't have originally ended up this way who knows what would have happened but i'm glad that it has come down to and i know you guys called it but i'm glad it's come down to dickinson and bennett because i think that's the story is you got you've got dickinson that has run rough shot he's run through everybody he's been pleading for competition and now he's getting it and he's found himself in a couple tough battles and you've got bennett who it was that opportunity of opportunities at, you know, the NWA world's heavyweight title, the 10 pounds of gold, Nick Aldis that brought him back, gave it one hell of a shot, came up short. Um, and I'm glad that that wasn't the last we saw Bennett, you know, had a physical match with Kratos, uh, who I'm sure might be controversial right now with you guys. I think he is. But, uh, I think he is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, I wanted to see the question mark too. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> so now Bennett enters the tournament, and 
you know, just has puts together a couple great performances there against tough competition. It was great to see Kevin Martinson get a shot. Really enjoyed that match with him, Bennett. And then veteran versus veteran uh, with Davari. So you got this guy. Now he's he didn't get he didn't get that prize. He didn't get the NWA World's Heavyweight Title. But now he's got a shot at becoming the first, you know, United Wrestling Network, you know, champion. And I just think that it it's probably the two guys that it's going to be toughest to pick because they both have such momentum and such great stories. You could see it, the feel-good moment, the Cinderella story with Bennett. You can see, hey, that wasn't enough because no one's going to stop this human buzzsaw and great white shark. I think it's intriguing, and I can't wait for, you know, a couple weeks to see it go down and call it. Yeah, I, can't, I don't think we can wait for you to call it. Does it piss you off, by the way, that Rob keeps refusing to acknowledge the UWN Heavyweight Championship as a world title? Uh, I understand. I mean, this is the, this is the this is the this is the NWA podcast, and I can see where you would say that until that title is defended internationally, which is tough to do right now, obviously with things the way they are, that it's not a true world title. I get that, um, but then again, when you have people that have competed all over the world, Mike Bennett was an IWGP tag team champion, New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, uh, Davari is a guy that has has traveled the globe. You know, Dickinson has faced, gave John Moxley the AEW World Champion, if that's a world title, um, a run, a real run for his money. So I think it's a it's a world class field that I think you could make the argument that it is a world championship because of the competitors competing. But I. I'm sure the day will come when things get back to a semblance of normalcy that the title will become a true world title and will be defended just like our, our tag team titles were defended in China. Uh, you know, when all this uh, defended the world title against Cole Cabana. So other UWN titles have become world titles and this will be eventually cemented as a world title. And then, then you can rest that argument at that point, but I get it. I get it. It's valid. And look, I, I mean, we we have said, and I've said that what you said that this is a very prestigious world class championship. I like that it's an open weight title, so you're not saying it's the world's heavyweight title, right? Um, uh, so they're 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 certainly out there, and I don't want, I would never want you or David Marquez or the the person who's going to earn this championship to ever be offended, like we're sliding it. Um, we just, I think, I think where we're coming from is like there is a certain veneration for sweet Charlotte that, that uh, should not be detracted by AEW or anybody, you know, that this is the, this is the one that's the pinnacle and everything else is, uh, you know, is, is not that, but, but now I, everything you're saying is something that I can completely affirm and, and agree with. I think he gets it, Rob. I think he, I think he knows that we, we, we are the show we are. And, uh, and so we got to take firm stands on things like Hammerstone. For instance, like uh, Todd, do you have <laughs> Hammerstone's number? Can you? Can... <laughs> I, I can try and get Hammerstone lined up for this. I, Hammerstone and I go way back. I've called many of his matches for many different promotions. So yeah. you know, I I think I could try and make that happen. Okay. Well, I, you know, this it, it actually like the only other thing I wanted to ask you was I just was curious about, and you, you kind of hit on this and, and Rob, if you've got a bounce, you can, but this is my last thing really is this, that you mentioned before 
that with the empty arena that it gets more like the bell to bell, it feels more intense and that sort of thing. I'm curious, like how for you as a guy who actually does bounce back and forth between MMA and professional wrestling and, and that sort of thing, what, what would be like the comparison to those two things for, for a guy like you? Is there a certain way that you have to adjust yourself to call uh, those kind of matches? At one point, I think there probably was a bigger difference, but that gap has narrowed because uh, this is like primetime live, for instance, is such a bell to bell traditional competition based show that I think I call it very similar to how I call MMA. I'm talking about strategies. I'm talking about injuries coming in. I'm talking about, you know, potential things that they might target. I'm talking about that they maybe aren't coming in 100% uh, because they just, you know, were in a tournament over the weekend at Mission Pro Wrestling, stuff like that. So I think I give it that sensibility. But I think over the years, both have helped each other. So I think I bring a little bit of the storytelling and energy and the little quips and stuff that I do to my MMA commentary when I call it. And then I think I bring that real sports feel, uh, breaking down the action, wins and losses, past opponents, common opponents, all those things you talk about in MMA. I also talk about in, in pro wrestling. Well, I think we even brought up on the show like a few times, like how you're referring to these schools as dojos and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, the camps. Sorry. Yeah, camps. And uh, and that that just automatically adds a different feel to it. Um, all right, Todd, I swear this is the last question. I'm going to let you go. What do you think, like just as a guy who's been through it, man, you've seen it all. You've been at least in contact with every major promotion and stuff. Is there something about professional wrestling right now that you feel like the common fan, the casual audience, or even the smart marks or whatever, is there something you just feel like constantly gets misunderstood or missed or something like that? Like just, you know, what, what do you think people get wrong about the business? Um, I just think it's, it's hard to make everybody happy. You know what I mean? Uh, you've got, you've got fans that love WWE that are going to love WWE no matter what. You've got other fans that'll say WWE is the worst thing in the world, even though, the, and they just won't admit when something's good, you know, same thing. You'll have, well, I'm, I'm an AEW fan or I'm an NXT fan, Wednesday Night Wars, or, you know, I'm a WWE guy, NWA, or NWA guy. I want tradition. I want pure pro wrestling. You know, I think there's a lot of flavors out there now where it's like Baskin Robbins. Now we got 31 flavors. Let's just be wrestling fans, you know? there's a lot you can sample from. And I think that's where we have a kind of a cool place in the marketplace right now is we're offering, a, you know, we're, we're uh, that um, opportunity for the NWA right now until they get power back or whatever they're going to do next to have the NWA, ch the champions of NWA and other certain talent on display. We're giving them, um, you know, we're giving them that, that opportunity. Uh, we're offering pure pro wrestling. We're showing, you know, great talent that maybe you've never heard of championships from promotions that maybe now you're going to say, Oh, Hammerstone is incredible. He's the West coast pro heavyweight champion. Well, what is West coast pro? Let me check out West coast pro. And so I think it's just, it's opening those pathways uh, and enlightening, enlightening a lot of fans to that. There's a lot of things out there. And, you know, I try and watch everything as much as I can. Do I love everything? No. But at the end of the day, you know, 
Um, I'll take marginally good pro wrestling or sometimes even bad pro wrestling over just about anything else. I love pro wrestling, you know, um, same way, man. No. And it's cool to talk to you and hear a guy who obviously has a passion for this business. Like you do just like we do. And uh, I think a lot of people that are going to hear and see this do. So it's good to, I think people appreciate when they could get to know the person and understand that they're just like them as far as, is that drive and that, that love of the business. Uh, Todd, it, we cannot express the gratitude we have for you being on the show today and doing this. And especially, I mean, people won't even know this, but such short notice, like you were just eager and like here and it's, it's, it's really is a huge honor for us, honestly. And, uh, um, I guess, uh, do, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to tell people where they can find you or the, or, and I'm sorry, Rob, it looked like you had something to say. I saw that. I saw that big mouth open. I do want to say <laughs> one thing really quick is Rob, I didn't, cause I, I realized that I didn't touch on this and Rob mentioned it earlier. You know, you know, I'm tired on Tuesday nights. This is a, this is a legitimate shoot, uh, because you guys are in the midst of it. Uh, you know, I've got about an hour or so drive South from Thunder Studios afterwards. and I hit my phone and put it on Bluetooth and put it through the speakers. And I listened to you guys on the way back to hear the recap and hear what you guys uh, thought of the show. So I am listening. Absolutely. I think that's evident with, you know, the things I've said on the program itself. And, but I do listen, you know, I do. And I, I take what you guys, what you guys say and your opinions into account. And I try and uh, voice those two. And, you know, we're still kind of a, some clay that we're trying to mold and going to try and do some exciting things with the, show uh, moving forward but yeah i do take a lot of stake in what you guys are doing and appreciate it and it, it feels like it's so easy to talk to you we feel like we've known you for years even though you know we've never really personally talked and and one thing you will never hear on our show is you will never hear us be critical of, of your work because you are fantastic and you are uh, a very big part of UWN prime. Well, I don't don't go say it all that i mean we gotta never say nothing he's still got he's still got time <laughs> I, I just I just subscribed to the next four weeks of this stuff. So <laughs> we all did. <laughs> so, but uh, thank you for for hanging out with us, man. We're we're big fans of your work and uh, and very humbled to hear that you uh, that you uh, listen to us and respect what we say too. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but just to plug, you know, uh, just I'm at Todd Kennelly on Twitter. I'm pretty responsive. Uh, I'm at T Kennelly on Instagram. Find me on there. Follow United Wrestling Network and NWA, obviously on on uh, social media, um, and some of these other promotions: FSW, West Coast Pro, uh, Defy Wrestling. You know, it's a it's a big world out there, and, and check out some of the stuff that's out there and enjoy it. You know, because there's a lot to enjoy. Hey, hey, let me ask one question real quick. You, you mentioned Defy. We keep wrestling. telling him it's the last question. I, I know, I know, Rob. I know. I gotta ask this because I've been looking for this Defy. Looks like it's an acronym. Is that an acronym? I'm not sure if it is, honestly. Okay. <laughs> well, he put that was like, spot like that. Yeah. I didn't, he, he, he might have known, I'd imagine, but it looks like it's an acronym. And I was trying to find it out when, when the divide, uh, yeah, it's like, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love about the doc. I mean, we had like a, I mean, this thing was ending perfectly. And, uh, and then he, just you had to jump in there i don't know i don't know what it is it's like phd don't get you everything kids you just remember that you right i do about hope that. that the uh you know we we've got to get around to crowning our our world champion uh but i do hope that the real world's champion 
uh, will show back up at some point on primetime live. I know he's got a defense elsewhere coming up in December. Um, but I mean, I don't blame him for not coming around because primetime live has been a real dangerous spot for the champions of the NWA. Recently. No kidding. Like literally, he's the only one hanging on to his title. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy, but Hey, you talked about, I mean, leading up into it, like the, you mentioned three years ago with Tim Storm and Nick Aldis. I mean, you're part of NWA history all over the dang place. Cause I mean, <laughs> there you are with uh, what four now? Is it four title changes that have happened? The national the TV, the tag, and yeah, Thunder Rosa dropping the title after Destruction Tour 2020. That's insane. So you have you have called all of them. Maybe oh. your bad luck for the NWA oh, now that no. I think about it. <laughs> 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 but I don't know. It's just a thought. Even though, even even still, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I hope this is not the last time we get to do this, Todd. It has been an honor and a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Likewise.